Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR on Wurundjeri Country in Melbourne and broadcast across this continent via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Ahern. People of the Pacific Islands are already feeling the ravages of climate change, be that the loss of food production as sea levels rise, the erosion of shorelines, king tides and the increased occurrence and severity of cyclones. But Pacific Islanders are speaking out. So on today's show, we're tuning in to Pacifica Voices and amplifying their messages. We're going to hear Climates of Listening, It's a special feature published on New Wireless, and it's part of a new wave of DIY media making coming out of Fiji. So pull up a seat and get ready to listen. Hi, I am a Fijian. I'm a storyteller. I am a Fijian storyteller. But today, I bury a library of stories I'll never learn to retell. See, stories in my culture are like books. There are stories of our shape-shifting gods who take the form of sea creatures or birds so that children don't fear the sea or the jungle. There are stories of how a certain leaf can heal cuts and bruises, which ones cure coughs and the ones that are poison. See, our stories are our history. The Westerners took it and called it myths and legends. We have constantly told our stories through the generations. Stories of gods and heroes, open ocean voyaging using stars for navigation, wars fought, wars lost, paths of demigods, origins of tribes, our relation from tribe to tribe, which trail, which rivers our clan crossed to be where they are now, the meaning of our village names, the time when the first roads were built, Stories of who had the first concrete house in the village. Stories of our kin going overseas for education. And till today, our stories of the not-so-distant past are still being told to eager ears listening around mats under the breadfruit tree. The stories that you will hear today are stories about cyclones. They are stories of people, of lands and of oceans, of sadness and hope, of anger and resistance. These stories take the shape of four poems, written by poets, artists and a scientist from the poetry shop Fiji, Christelle Lavaki, Atueta Rambuka, Amelia Rigsby and Peter Sipelli. These poems were all written after Tropical Cyclone Winston hit Fiji in 2016, the first Category 5 cyclone to hit the islands and the most intense cyclone ever to reach landfall in the Southern Hemisphere. The poems were recorded in early 2018 at the Oceania Centre, USP. Each of these four poets tell of different yet entangled aspects of the same event, recalling other cyclones, other times and other relationships. And they all speak of kinship and love. They are told as reminiscing and as reflection, as words to be spoken and to be listened to, and, moreover, words to be remembered and considered again and again. 
I remember being 12 years old and listening to the story of how my aunt Bibi got her name. She was born in the midst of a cyclone, tropical cyclone Bibi, 1972. Imagine the winds were so strong that they had to tie a rope around the village nurse and they had to crawl through the village for the nurse to deliver. Aunt Bibi was born. I was told the story of Kina. And I love this story because I was in this story. And every time my grandma told the story and mentioned my name, I'd glance proudly at my cousins who weren't born then and smile like I was the lead character of that story. Anyway, Cyclone Kina, 1992. I was four years old and I faintly remember being on the roof of my aunt's house in the village waiting for a bamboo raft to come pick us and take us to the evacuation center. I have since started to tell my stories and I think we tell these stories over and over and over and I guess this is our way of preserving the library of knowledge to always remember who we are, to always remember how we came here, to remember what happened, to know what to do, to read the signs and always the old stories began with the signs like we saw the signs, we knew something big was coming. A certain bird was seen, an insect enters the house, the wind changes direction, fruit grows in clusters, even the change in ocean currents warn us months in advance. But this knowledge is dying, and my story does not begin with the signs because I don't recognize them anymore. My story begins with twisted steel and chunks of concrete that once was a school, the same kind of school where we learn that preparation for a cyclone begins with keeping an ear out for the weather news on the TV or radio, where reliance on news to relay weather patterns is taught and told to us by the weather girl with words like trough low and high pressure and tropical depression and i am depressed that this western educational system is now a wreck because of a cyclone and our children's future depends on western education and man i wish that during my time there was a balance between western and cultural education because what happens when one fails like now 229 schools destroyed and here I stand amongst the rubble of what was once a primary school built with cement blocks and steel framing. Construction funded by the Japanese and you could tell that this school was built to withstand the constant winds that hit it from the sea because this school was built on a mountain overlooking the sea on the island of Taviuni, the third largest island in Fiji and one of the first islands to feel the wrath of Cyclone Winston after she had avoided Fiji. Yeah, if I remember correctly, the cyclone had passed and then turned around like it had lost a purse and thought Fiji had stolen it and it came straight for us. Huge chunks of concrete strewn everywhere, twisted metal, broken glass. Honestly, it looked like a bomb detonated here. Only now as I tell this story do I realize how strong the winds had to be to push down walls of concrete, to bend the steel frames, and if winds were this destructive, our ancient trees have no chance. I stood on the shore on the southern part of Vitilevu, the main island in Fiji. The place is called Namara, and Namara is by the sea. My cousins here were eager to show me the ancient tree. Ambaka tree, you might know it as the banyan tree. For us, it's the spirit tree. And one used to be where I now stand. It was huge and probably hundreds of years old. 
The tree had been uprooted and thrown a few feet away. Imagine that, about 15,000 kgs uprooted and thrown. It hurt to see this tree like this. It's gut-wrenching, like a hand reached deep into my core, gripped my innards and twisted it. I don't know if you understand my pain, my anger, because maybe you have that connection, maybe not. But for us, I think that no matter how faint, or even if we forget, the connection will always be there because it's in our blood. Though the connection to the land is fading and with constant western influence it may disappear in the future right now I can still see the anger in my people as they always push back when the powers that be enforce bylaws that demand development on our land. Land in this context is not what you think. For us land is called Vanua and the Vanua is more than just soil, grass and tree. Vanua is the soul of the physical environment that has adopted us. One of the ways in which Fijians introduce themselves is Mbula, Nazangwa Lemeki. Hello, my name is Lemeki. I am from the province of Ra. But to directly translate that last bit, it is I am a child of Ra. See, we understand that we do not own the land, we belong to it, like every other natural being. And even though the land has never left me, I have been taught to ignore the connection. I have been taught to feel nothing for the spirit tree. Because just as fast as the winds came and brought her down, the winds of change have changed my generation and it's not for the better. And don't tell me that now with my formal education and fortnightly pay that I am the wiser because not so long ago I revered the elders and their wisdom but now I see pain in their eyes. The old generation and their mats under the breadfruit tree have become empty and their knowledge now sit without being told into story for eager ears to hear for the children have gone to sit in broken schools to learn how to listen to the weather news on the radio. I watch them and I wish their education was a balance between western and cultural education. I watch them while sitting on the floor of our farmhouse, the only thing that survived the cyclone. Everything else gone, the walls, the roof, the cupboards, the clothes, the leaves on the trees, gone. I watch them while I peel cassava to feed those coming for the funeral. Because today we bury an elderly man. He lost his life in the cyclone, crushed beneath metal and concrete. Today I bury a library of stories I'll never learn to retell. I remember my aunt telling me about Cyclone Melly of 1976. In our village, there's a ground right next to the Catholic Church that no one walks across and no one plays on. It's been over 40 years, but the memory of that day still lives on. Even before I knew the story behind it, I knew it was Tambu. It was just one of those things that you felt, that you knew, without anyone ever having to tell you. My aunt says that during Cyclone Meli, the people, my people, ran to the one structure that they trusted to keep them safe, the church. And there they stayed through the storm even after they began to feel the building start to lurch. My aunt says that young and old parents with their children, they were all under that giant roof when it gave way and caved in. My aunt says that thankfully they died where they stood, under rock, rain and thunder they lay for a day or two before they could be buried. My aunt says that there were no coffins or mats or special clothes, that husbands cried out when they were not allowed to touch their wives before they were dropped into that church-sized hole. 
My aunt says that it's probably one of the darkest days of a village's history. But I find myself thinking of that story less and less, almost if it's a kindergarten memory. Only in the 21st century can the memory of a mass grave be turned into something so mundane. My aunt says, always with the my aunt says, why doesn't anyone else say? Why don't we have books that say? Why doesn't history say? Why doesn't ABC and BBC say? Why didn't we have young mothers crying into cameras with children on their hips the way they do with other people? Why don't we have pictures and movies and magazine articles of our broken foundations, our churches on the ground with their broken steeples? Why do we have to watch people crying over their burning houses in California, crying over their burnt possessions, holding their dogs, but Samoa was lucky if we could get a few minutes lended to them by mass media, when they would fish their loved ones out of the sea like bloated, clothed logs? Why is an English terrorist attack so fucking newsworthy and overwhelming when the silence surrounding West Papua is so deafening? I speak about the selective reporting like it's new, but this is old history. I mean, the deaths of over a dozen people, my people, have been relegated to hand-me-down stories. I've seen shoes get passed around more times than that story has been, and it scares me. It scares me to think that in 40 years people will forget about Winston and what he did here. How he reduced whole villages and towns to tears, how he left us battered, bruised, and fucked over like some drunk, jealous lover, creeping in in the middle of the night looking for a fight, I'm worried that people will forget that he left us looking like we just did ten rounds, except we're lightweights, and Winston knocked the stuffing out of us because he outweighed us pound for pound. I'm afraid that people will forget about our kids still going to school in tents, that people will forget about Tom's father who died in a container because the wind rolled it around like it just didn't care, that people will forget about whole hillside stripped bare, that people will forget about the flooding and how they had to start over which may as well have been a death sentence at $2.35 an hour. That people will forget about Nandarivatu High School and the entire school block that's gone. How does the school keep going with the same number of students, but less three classrooms? How do they do it? And for how long? And I'm scared. I'm scared because I think that we will forget. So I gather these stories to my chest, picking them up as they fall, putting them away with the rest, passing them out and passing them around, and watching these stories sail away to another mind as if it's homebound. And I hope and I pray that as I pass these stories on and watch my audience's mind tick, that maybe this story will work with this mind, and maybe this time, this story will stick. But I'm still scared. I'm scared that they will forget. That you will forget. That I will forget. But I'm hoping against hope that maybe, just maybe, we and the rest of the world won't lose sight and that for once we will remember. And it won't matter that all those people who died were not white. You're listening to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. And today, we're bringing you poetry from Fiji, talking about cyclones and whose lives are considered important. I fell in love with the ocean. Not the plastic postcard day at the beach ocean pushed down my throat, but the real ocean, the ocean of my people. Because like most Pacific Islanders, the ocean is my life. 
For me, the sea is my father's last image of his home when he left for a white education. For me, the sea are the Sundays learning to be a marine scientist so that I could be the voice of my people and our resources, not an imported ideal forced upon us. For me, it's a small restaurant that was my mom's life and empire. For me, it's a source of food that reminds me of people now gone. For me, it's my godson holding the glass, looking at animals that his godson may never see. For me, the sea is my identity. So you asked me about Winston. But you didn't want my real story. You wanted my sad loss of trinkets that you could relate to. Because if you couldn't relate to my loss in your white concrete world, it wouldn't be a loss. But this is my story about my loss. Not the story you want. My story. Sorry. This started as an apology. I started to say, I'm sorry. But then realize, how can sorry be enough? How can two words, I'm sorry, fix this? How do your destroyed homes get fixed with, I'm sorry? How can I'm sorry mend your broken wings? How can I'm sorry fix your torn up nests? You gave me everything. You put 100% into this relationship and all I can say is, I'm sorry? How could I have done this to you? How am I capable of doing this? What have you done to deserve to share your home with someone like me? I'm sorry. There's those words again. Sorry I polluted your water. Sorry that I took and took even after you said, stop, please. Stop. I was selfish. I still am selfish. I bathe gleefully in your misery because that's what I'm programmed to do. It's what we're all programmed to do. On top of that is the budget program. It makes me look at others and say, how can they? It makes me say, you did this. You're the reason I'm writing this apology. It's you and not my plastic life. It's you and not my air-conditioned, conditioned life. It's you and your unsustainable life and not my need for a straw to stop from f***ing up my plastic lipstick. The same straw that will eventually run into waterway. The same straw that will eventually run into a waterway and into the ocean and kill a turtle. But back to my apology and enough about how America and China and the other fat cats are f***ing you over. Is it enough? Are these fake I'm sorry but I chased you from your home enough? Uh, my I'm sorry tears for the last turtle I'll ever see killed for a special occasion kana enough. Is sorry enough for your plastic-filled belly? Is sorry enough to bring back your children and family when the winds took them away? Is sorry enough for the noisy oceans that make it hard for you to find your children and your family and your home? Is sorry enough for my kind kidnapping your children so we can take selfies and watch them jump through hoops? Is sorry enough for the oceans to cool down? Is sorry enough for you to swim free once more? No. The reality is, I'm human and that's what I do. I say sorry and wake up the next day being okay. Because I'm human and I make mistakes. And even if you are or soon to be it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, I'll pledge to be your savior. I'll make money off you, but as long as I say sorry... We're all good. Only when you find up and say, F*** off, will I realize I am alone and sorry is too late. But until then, I'll sleep 
and I wake up. Because it's you and not me. So sorry. When I think of the people affected by Winston, I think of their things, people's things, their pictures, their trinkets, their gems, their charms, their favorite things. These are the things that make us human. These are the things that connect us to people, place, situations, our things, our physical memories. They make us. They are us. I think of those new places, places of refuge, places they went to. I wonder if they miss them, if they miss looking at their pictures, if they miss holding their charms, if they miss their grandmother's necklace. These are the things that fill my thinking. Weeks before he came, sweat fell off our frames like rain, spilling down our faces like tears. We knew something was coming. We all knew something was in the air. The swirling, humid heat brought him here. And he came that night with the fury of the gods. His arms reached across our land and he spun in circles and he danced the death dance. He came and he carried the fury of a thousand gods. The wind brought an ocean of tears that came fluent in a language of displacement. It carried with it the scent of things dead, of children silent with a scream, of their cries still caught in their throat, some out there still floating between the waves or lost in a tree. Remember that story? That one, that kid that wasn't found. And now, I wonder, where did those winds go? Where did it come from? Is it still out there? Is it still out there tucked back into the belly button of the sky? Poetry there from the podcast Climates of Listening, produced by Anya Kangaisa. And it's just one of a number of podcasts by New Wireless, coming out of Suva in Fiji. This is The Sounds of the Sea, and it's a new podcast. For me, the sea is the reason I fight. Fight for the coral domes that are now white. Fight for the fish I'll never see again. Fight for the sharks that are now finless. The sea has changed, though. The sea represents ideas from overseas. The sea represents stolen glory. The sea represents false prophets. The sea represents a lost Pacific Islander in the science. The science of what we know as our seas. Hi, my name is Christelle Lovaki. My father is Laoan and is also South Indian. My mother has Welsh links, so it's why I'm slightly fairer than most of my cousins in my family. It is also the reason why a lot of people think that my English is really great. But my English was actually picked up because my father studied and studied really well in England. But he had the white education. He had the ideals of an outsider. But that never stopped him from believing in the Pacific Islander. So it comes down to the question, 
why am I doing this? Why am I making a podcast trying to highlight Pacific Islanders? Not only highlight Pacific Islanders, but highlight Pacific Islanders in science, in conservation, people who are making great strides and may not necessarily be highlighted. It's highlighting the new voices in conservation science in the Pacific, people who are owning their own conservation. It's science that's not an outside science. It's science that belongs to the people of the sea, the people of the highlands, the people of the rivers, these people. As a little girl, I grew up around a university. My dad was an engineer, so I was fortunate enough to grow up by the sea. I was fortunate enough to grow up around the sea, around boats. I was fortunate enough to see a lot of reefs around Fiji because of my dad's job. And I think it's because of this that my love for the ocean grew. There was one problem though. As a child, there, was, there were many scientists, great scientists, don't get me wrong, they were great scientists, but they always were outsiders. They were hardly Pacific Islanders. And if they were Pacific Islanders, I was never told that they were scientists. They were always my dad's good friend, my dad's cousin, my dad's other good friend. They were never Dr. So-and-so. They were never the amazing scientist that was Johnson Sito. They were always my dad's gang. As I grew older, I realized that these people were talented. They were amazing at what they did. But I always felt like their voices were somewhat secondary. It was the voice that you heard after the consultant from Iceland was brought in to talk about a reef that was in their backyard. Christelle Lavaki is a marine conservationist and poet. You can listen to the full podcast and others by New Wireless by searching for NIU Wireless on Mixcloud. Thank you to the artists whose words we heard today and Anya Kangaiza, who produced Climates of Listening. You've been listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's National Environmental Justice Program. I'm Tisha Nahern. If you've missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country. If you'd like to get in contact with Earth Matters, you can give the station a call on 03 9419 8377. You can send us an email on earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page. I hope you can tune in next time for more Earth Matters. Thank you.